Welcome to Rec Talks, a podcast dedicated to the latest trends from the world of RecTech, FinTech, and regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RecTech provider Know Your Customer. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Leila White as my guest. Leila White is a procurement expert who has worked for several financial services companies. During her time at one of these banks, Leila saw that there were serious issues with the ways established corporates and startups engaged with each other. To accelerate and simplify the process for everyone, she set up the online platform Tech Passport. Leila, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Klaus, for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. I'd like to start by exploring in a bit more detail your Tech Passport journey. Could you explain to us what were the key issues that Tech Passport was born to address? So I was working, I worked across banks for many years, and I was fortunate to work as a contractor, which meant I got a lot of exposure to different teams. But my my most recent placement was in HSBC, supporting the digital team to bring on fintechs. And there were a few things that occurred to me. One, it was such a busy environment. And the, the benefit of, of fintechs in one way is that typically the spend is, is under a million. And within banks, typically you have a procurement policy that will say, you know, if, you're, if your spend is under a million, you don't have to go through a full RFI, RFP process. And if you talk to anyone in a bank, they want to try and avoid that at all costs because it takes them a long time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. What I found was that there were a lot of trials that were going through me as a procurement specialist. So I was putting on a lot of NDAs and a lot of trials because first of all, the banks then can try before they buy. They get to see if they like the product. And second of all, it appeases that procurement policies. But I I felt that I spent so much of my time putting these contracts into place, like low level contracts that are still really important, but not actually having time enough to focus on putting the strategic contracts in place, like the services contracts. And then it also occurred to me that the way that banks engage is a very linear approach. Everything's very one-to-one. And the process to me feels like it's suboptimal, where what we found across other banks is a similar to HSBC. If you'd find a supplier that you want to work with, you put an NDA in place, then you put a trial agreement in place, then you'd ask them a series of questions. If you went past that trial that might be for, say, three months, and then you start to ask those questions that are normally quite lengthy, and find out that the bank, the supplier is non-compliant, it's wasted time, it's wasted effort. So they were the kind of things that stood out for me. And I thought, what if there's a way really to try and pull that information forward as far left as possible to enable that early kind of due diligence, that early kind of um, searching and engaging for suppliers, picking out the low hanging fruit ones that work for you better. And whilst I was at HSBC, I thought, you know, even if we push out a lot of information to the suppliers, you're also dependent upon them replying in a timely fashion. And having now been on the side of the fence for two and a half years, I know that actually if I was asked to answer a lot of questions just for a trial that I might win, might not win, would I want to do that? And actually from a startup's perspective, do I have time for that? And and these are all the things that were kind of flying around my head. And I was approached by a large consultancy firm, I won't name them, who had said, you know, we want to understand fintech. It's it's a big ticket item. Uh, you're working in this area. Would you like to come and work for us? And I think because of my background in working in vendor governance and reporting, I thought, I'm going to give it a go myself. 
I think I know how to fix this. I've got some ideas. And so we now have a platform that brings banks and suppliers together and enables the rapid engagement for NDAs and trial agreements. And whilst that seems like a really small thing, we know that it's something that is used across every single bank. We know that every single engagement starts with that. We know that it takes between four weeks and 12 weeks, sometimes more, to get those two contracts into place. But we also know through our platform, we can do it in a matter of days. And so it's really trying to speed up that process. And so that's kind of where we are at the moment um, and lots more things on the pipeline. But yeah, that's, um, that's the background. That's very interesting. At KYC, we currently are dealing with a ton of RFPs. Some of these are incredibly detailed with 200 questions. And you do wonder if a smaller startup that doesn't have the resources can even do them. That is, that is true. But tell me a bit, how does your platform solve that problem? Currently, so when we onboard suppliers right now, we ask them a host of questions on their product, their company, um, the, where it's hosted, what kind of data they use. So the kind of key questions we know that are required from a POC perspective. And so the value from a supplier's perspective is they get to enter that information once and then it's accessible to multiple banks. What we're looking at um, at the moment, I won't give you too much information yet because I need to make sure I can announce it but we're working with a consortium of banks to look at the key questions that they require suppliers to answer in order to be able to work with them so it's not the full set of compliance onboarding infosec questions but what are the kind of showstoppers you know normally regarding like password encryption etc and so the idea is that whilst it might be an extra hundred or so questions we are really working with these financial institutes to define the industry standard and then what we've committed to is that we will be embedding that and we will be leading the way for defining that and implementing it so suppliers will be able to go a step further and be able to answer those questions giving the financial sector the banks the confidence that actually we've worked with some big names to come up with this and of course it will be a living and breathing thing it will change and adapt but then hopefully that adds value for more banks to come on and especially smaller financial institutions who are looking at how they innovate and trying to work out how to do it at pace where they're looking to the tier ones to say, well, how have you done it? This is us being able to say, this is this is the way they're doing it and this is how we can help you. So what we see is um, hopefully a value added on both sides where we then grow both sides of the communities really, really quickly because we're, we're speeding up that whole kind of engagement process and helping banks to find the right kind of match and, and suppliers to find the right kind of match for them as well. That makes total sense to me. One challenge, though, it sounds like what you have built is a two-sided marketplace. Could you share any insights for our listeners and myself uh, on how to scale this type of business successfully? How do you get both sides? It's a question that we have or I have continually in my head. And, I, and actually, over the past few weeks, we we went and went to New York and we met with 12 different banks at a round table that we organized, which was amazing. And the key theme that came out of that over and over again was the removal of friction. And I think every time I kind of pitched what we're doing before this point, it was we have a platform that enables rapid engagement and it's got a marketplace. But what we realized actually over the past few weeks is we're not we're not a marketplace. I think over time we'll grow into a marketplace, but what we're really focusing on and what we're really good at is removing that friction and making the engagement faster. And so we're making some changes to the platform to make it easier for banks to engage with suppliers, to find suppliers and to work with them. Because it's, as you say, class, it's really difficult. It's, it's kind of a juggling act. Like you, you push one side up to get interest from the bank, like push the supplier side up, get interest from the banks. And then you'll have a subset of suppliers that will say, 
you need more banks before I'm interested. So it's a real chicken and egg scenario. And, and we've done really well. We have over 700 products available to us. But we also know that depending on the organization and the, and the size of the organization, they'll be looking for different things. And what we found is like larger organizations aren't necessarily so interested in the number of supplies that you have. They're more interested in the functionality. Smaller organizations want to see a really well populated marketplace. So what we're focusing on at the moment is driving through with the tier ones and the large organizations to show the value from that removal of the friction and the access to the information really quickly. And then as they use it, they're, they're able to invite suppliers onto the platform. And then those suppliers are then available for the whole of the network, the whole of the buy side community to use. So then that in turn, hopefully grows the supply side to bring on the smaller organizations. So that's kind of our rationale, really, and our approach. Well, we did our bit already as KYC, and uh, I encourage any RecTech listening in to do the same. Thank you. As technology providers, we are used to think that everyone in our industry is as aware of every new solution out there as we are. But that's obviously not always the case, especially since things are changing all the time and new innovations are introduced constantly. In your experience, what is the level of awareness among the buyers of available fintech and regtech solutions? I think, class, it really varies depending on the size of the financial institution and how much they're innovating and on what stage they're at. Without naming names, there are certainly financial institutions that I know have dedicated innovation teams where it's their job to go and source and find suppliers, pull reports together and on options for the rest of the team. You know, they run events, they run incubators. And so it scales from that all the way down to smaller organizations where they might have just started an innovation team or they haven't brought it all together in a centralized kind of fashion. And so everything is done quite ad hoc. And I think it goes back to my point earlier about the different use cases with larger banks versus smaller banks, where larger ones are looking to speed up that process because they have a tap into the suppliers versus smaller ones who are saying, what do we use? You know, I haven't got time. I haven't got resources available to go and just scour. What we have seen, because we're looking at so many different suppliers across the industry and we're working with so many, we're now offering a service where we produce uh, segmented reports across the industry. So looking at the different taxonomies and really tapping into our supplier network, interviewing them, getting a more detailed view on those suppliers and their products that you wouldn't necessarily find on things like CB Insights or Gartner Report, where actually the time is taken to speak to them, ask about their use cases, ask about you know, how easy it is it to integrate your platform, your product into a bank's platform, because that's one of the key challenges I think that large organizations have, especially with their, their legacy systems. We see that as being a real benefit, especially into the smaller organizations where they don't just want to be able to access a, a platform like ours and be able to search for products. They want to have a bit more of an, a steer and guidance in terms of what the comparables are. That means you're going far beyond just collecting information and making it efficiently available again. You understand the information that the startups put in the platform. That is a lot of work. Are you scaling your team? Yes, we are. We're just finalizing a seed round, which is amazing. We're putting a lot of focus onto customer success. We've got to work on dev going, so some changes to the platform. But another big area is in research. So we have a day a really good data analytics guy but we're now going to reinforce that team as well um, because we want to be able to have our finger on the pulse and know what's on in the market it makes sense for us to understand the technology rather than just being a platform with information in 
we know you already help by uh, going further, understanding and uh, reporting to the financial institutions. But on the other side, what can startups, technology companies do to help here and make it easier for the buyers to understand the offering and uh, get access to that apart from getting on your platform? I was just about to say, Klaus, join the platform. <laughs> I think that one of the things that we always say, and we've, we run quite a few events and obviously suppliers are more than welcome. If you ever want to come to one of our events, get in touch, but we run quite a lot of them across New York and the UK. But one of the key takeaways that we always have is build compliance into your company from day one. Don't underestimate it. And if you want to work with a financial institution, they're regulated. They're going to expect you to be on point when it comes to regulation. And that's not just looking at how you comply, but that's looking at your third parties as well. So build compliance in from day one into your product, into your processes, into your governance structure, into your team, everything, because it will make your onboarding a lot faster. And it could be the difference between a six month onboarding to a 12 month onboarding. We also really recommend that, and I know people have probably heard it a thousand times before, whatever your sales cycle is, whatever you think the sales cycle is into banks, double it. And we were hoping that we'll fix it to some extent, but don't underestimate it. Factor in, I would say, like from the point of talking to someone to the point of execution, two years. I would say from the point of someone saying yes to having that contract in place, a year. So you've really got to spend a year doing that sales piece and building the relationship and then expect a year to put that contract in place. And even if you have someone say, oh, it only take eight weeks, don't believe it. If you're working for a small startup and you've got maybe under 10 people in your company, you're pretty flexible, agile, you can prioritize things differently. Banks are huge beasts and there is a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of approval processes and what your clients um, sees as a priority isn't necessarily what the rest of the organization sees as a priority. So if you're talking to someone within Tech BD, for example, they're going to pass it on to procurement and procurement will probably have 100 projects at any one time and yours won't be prioritized. <laughs> So just trying to remember that, you know, and then it's it's not just procurement. It goes into legal and, you know, large financial institutions these days have to outsource their legal because they're just so busy. So that's an indication of the kind of backlog that you'll see. And then you think about the compliance teams as well. So be prepared from a compliance perspective, factor in a long period for selling and um, be patient. I can echo that. We've went through a lot of these processes before and uh, recently with larger financial institutions with tier one banks. And I can echo your timeline in one case, just almost of a month. Uh, that is exactly what happened. And uh, it is a challenge for the startup, but more in terms of liquidity like that means you have to have deeper pockets or better funding to last that long if you want to go after the big ones first. I think that the other takeaway is just if you know you're onto something, just hold on and you'll be surprised all of a sudden it will come through. You are currently helping banks do the procurement better. What should we change or what should they change in the process? Is it still working at all because it's so difficult? I've worked in procurement and I'm definitely not in the habit of bashing them over the head because I know how busy they are. And I think that they always get a bad reputation because from an onboarding perspective, as soon as it goes past the point of the business saying yes, and they start to onboard you, everything after that is seen as procurement. So procurement, compliance, legal, 
everybody just sees it as procurement. And so they're given a real bad reputation because every single holdup is seen as their fault, but actually it's not. They're just that central point. I think that typically procurement teams are maxed out and they are the go-between um, across multiple different teams. In order to improve it, I think it's, I think procurement has a place, a really important place, but I think they need bolstering with better tooling, you know, and, and that's part of what we want to do. And it's not taking away their control because of the value that they bring, but it's bolstering them with better tools to make it easier and to assign work and to automate and digitalize things a lot better. A, a better workflow management process is where it's lacking and being able to provide stats from an end-to-end perspective in terms of where things are. It's, it's unfortunate, I think, that across lots of procurement functions, everything's still done by lots of emails and Excel spreadsheets or tooling that is really archaic and difficult to use. Seeing that you have all these startups in your system and you have a lot of information and you see a lot out there, think about where we're headed. So looking at what you know there from your side, are there any specific trends that uh, have you excited about the future of fintech? Yeah, I think there's some buzzwords around that you hear repeated time and time again, defy. I think it's going to be game changing for the sector on, on a lot of different levels. Actually, we've been recently looking at low code, no code, which might sound a little bit out there, but some of the tooling that's coming out is just amazing at being able to automate processes and speed things up, you know, um, and banks are really kind of stepping up and latching onto those and seeing the value of those. The other big trends that I think are coming, I think, especially with the um, with the metaverse, and I certainly see from my children, I'm going off, off a little bit kilter here now, but just sort of, just forecasting 15 years ahead, we look at how our children are using technology. It's more than ever. Like I can't get my kids off of Roblox, but kids are, are becoming used to spending money on avatars and houses that don't exist. I probably won't even dip my toe into the metaverse for another five years if I'm lucky, but our children are. And I think that is a really, really big, exciting space, whether we like it or not, is coming. Um, and I think that we'll start to really see that come to fruition over the next 10 to 15 years. And then I think it's going to explode because that's what children will be expecting. That's what they're used to. And you can see where lots of financial institutions are starting to invest into it. I think HSBC have now got a space in there, maybe JP Morgan, And it's really starting to take off because they're looking, sitting back and going, hang on a minute. Like, first of all, this is interesting. We know the kids are using this, but they're looking further ahead. They're forecasting and working out where the opportunities are. So I think that's a super exciting space, personally. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Uh, so that just leaves me one question that uh, I ask all my guests. If tomorrow you woke up and somehow you had become the global financial regulator, it's not quite as applicable to you, but yeah, I'd say still, what would be the first thing you would do and why? Oh, try and standardize the requirements. <laughs> <laughs> try and standardize it for suppliers. You know, when we, we speak to a lot of banks and their question there, they say like, we wonder if our questions are overkill. We wonder if our compliance and regulatory questions are overkill, but because Banks are quite protective, of course. They won't share their questions with anybody else and everything's under NDA. But there is a concern. Like they always want to make sure it's better and faster, but also protecting, you know, they're being risk averse. And I guess there is a steer from the regulator, but sometimes it's not as easy to understand. When you look at global banks like HSBC, 
Fidelity is in a financial institution, like global financial institutions where they have office space or entities in multiple different uh, regions. I think that it would make a huge amount of sense for them to come together to work on the regulators and say, let's standardise this because it's costing us an inordinate amount of money to do this on a regional basis. Wishful thinking. (laughs) Well, Leila, that was fun. Thank you very much. Really interesting interview. Um, Thanks for coming on and uh, hope to talk soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rec Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RecTech provider, Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash rectalks.